Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is December 21st, 2016. This is episode 1920 of the Survival Podcast, and uh, <clears throat> this is going to be a standalone show. It's going to be like a Tuesday show because we did the uh, the basically a rewind edition of a Toby Hemingway uh, interview yesterday. And I don't have a, a guest book this week. I do want to let you guys know, we do have our first two interviews of the new year set up for the first first and second Wednesday of the month of January. The first one is, you're going to get what uh, was kind of like leaked uh, last week with a question for Tim Glantz on military jeeps. Uh, we're going to have Tim on and we are going to discuss in depth the subject of military jeeps, finding them, rehabbing them, working on them, uh, what their capabilities are. I think that'll be a good show. And then we're going to have Chef Keith Snow on and he's going to be talking about uh, cooking as a prepper and his new course on doing just that, like how to actually use the things that you store in you know, your cooking. And he's got a new course on how to do that. We'll be discussing how to do it and the course as well. Those will be your first two interviews. And we might be having something pretty cool for the third one. I got to get the interview guest form back up and know that that uh, sometime today, if you go to the site and you click on guests, you'll see the form will be back and you'll be able to actually fill it out and uh, submit your application to become a guest on the show if you'd like to do that. You know, we only do, uh, I guess, about 48 a, a, a year because we do about four a month, roughly. So anyway, just want to let you guys know that today, what we're going to talk about, <clears throat> I'll tell you the truth. Um, Toby uh, Toby Hemingway, uh, who I dedicated the show to yesterday, I didn't realize that at the time I was doing the the, the intro and outro for the show, had, had already passed away. So I did that show with uh, the belief that maybe he would he would hear it or or what have you. And I didn't want to make it like a memorial. I you know I didn't know how I said I didn't know how severe his condition was, and it turned out he had passed away that morning. And uh, I've taken this kind of hard. I've lost some good friends over the years, and they always seem to not just be good friends, but great people. And so I've been rather distracted. And then we had a lot of problems due to the hard freeze, three days of hard freeze here, <clears throat> that I chose not to deal with yesterday. And then this morning I went out and started to bring all of the water systems back online and whatever. And nothing really bad, but enough to delay things. And then uh, the the... The truck, the cold killed the batteries. They're like four and a half, five year old batteries in my pickup, so the batteries are dead. And uh, it, it just like <sighs> cascaded on it. And I found myself today, you know, doing the TSP item of the day, which I'll just tell you now is Toby's book, The Permaculture City, and getting that done and getting ready to do a show and not really having a topic in mind and going through like four or five topics and actually starting to write an outline on them and going, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. Just kind of being melancholy and, and thinking, you know what I need to do? I need to challenge myself a little bit today. So I went over to Facebook and I said, okay, uh, start making suggestions. And somebody that makes one of the first 20 suggestions, I'm going to pick your topic and I'll do it. That was about 45 minutes ago. So 45 minutes ago, I put, well, maybe an hour ago, I put that up. About 45 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, I chose a topic, and it's going to be camping to improve your preparedness. And uh, so in 30 minutes, I whipped up an outline, and I think there's nothing like, you know, 
getting on with it to uh, to get in a better mood because you know we we all have to continue to do what we do on a daily basis. But losing a friend is tough, and it kind of had me off balance uh, today and this morning. So I'm late starting the show, and uh, I had no idea what the topic was going to be until 30 minutes ago. But hopefully, it'll be a good one. We'll be talking about just that camping. And we won't be talking about ultralight camping. We won't be talking about hiking nine miles back into the woods and camping. Uh, we won't be talking about camping like that. We're going to be talking mostly from a standpoint of like what you'd call car camping. That's not camping in your car, but camping where you have access to your car. And uh, I think that's a, a really great way for families. I'm going to try to make this family-focused a little bit today, even though I'm not in that stage anymore where I'm taking kids camping. Though with my grandson getting a little older, that'll probably happen soon. But I know there's a lot of you out there have two, three kids, and then camping gets complicated. I'm going to try to give you some thoughts on enjoying it, whether you're doing it yourself or you're doing it with your wife or your husband or if you're doing it with your wife, your husband, and kids or a group or what have you. And uh, we'll get to that, like I said, in just a second. Before that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey, guys, you know what? I love using herbs over conventional medicine for so many reasons, but there's so much hype in the herbal industry, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why I was so excited over seven years ago when I found Western Botanicals, an honest company with great products and wonderful people who really care about their customers. For all your herbal needs, do what I do and check out westernbotanicals.com. Recently, a new magazine showed up at my house. I had never seen it before. I had never heard it before. It was Self-Reliance Magazine. And I took a look at it and realized it was from the same people, Dave Duffy and his crew, that have been producing Backwoods Home. They sent me an introductory copy because I've been a subscriber to Backwoods Home for 20 years. I opened the pages and I was blown away. Pretty much you take what Backwoods Home has done for two decades or more, up the production value, and take 100% focus on self-sufficiency and self-reliance topics, homesteading, canning, cooking, you name it, that type of thing, all of the politics stripped out, hardcore how-to. That's the new Self-Reliance magazine. You can learn more at self-reliance.com. Next up, uh, let's uh, remind you guys our TSP Business Directory supporter of the day is TNT Fabrications. They produce aftermarket Harley-Davidson GPS mounts. They provide smartphone, iPhone, iPad, gun holster, and accessory mounts as well. You can check them out in the TSP Business Directory. Again, TNT Fabrication supporter of the TSP Business Directory located at tspbiz.com where you can find people in this community to do business with or you can find people that want to do business with you by listing your business for as little as $5 every six months. Uh, next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1920. There's a lot going on this year. Uh, Alex Shrugged has two main segments for us today. We have your government at work trying to poison you. And we have KDKA is on the air, but is anyone listening? We also have notable births. Big big uh, year for Star Trek uh, this year. James Doohan, who was Scotty, is born. DeForest Kelly is born. That was Bones, old Doc Bones. And Ricardo Monteblan, who played Khan in the second Star Wars movie. Eddie Slovic is born this year. He will be the only soldier to be executed for desertion during World War II. He seemed to think he would only get prison time, which... Many people did, and that's why he thought it, and that's probably why he didn't get it. He also really screwed himself by writing a letter admitting his desertion rather than just deserting. Uh, and so he was made an example of. Anne Wang, co-creator of Wang Word Processors, who said success is more a function of consistent common sense than it is of genius. Um, the Wang Word Processors and Data Processors were pretty popular in the 80s. 
I remember them, and I remember them just all of a sudden disappearing as well. In other news, Henry Ford founds Kingston Charcoal this year. Waste lumber and sawdust from building model T's are made into charcoal briquettes, and folks, we call that what in permaculture? Function stacking. The HIV virus emerges from the Belgian Congo. It will reach New York 51 years later. The CDC will declare it an epidemic 10 years after that. I guess we don't usually think of uh, AIDS as going back to this time, but apparently it does. <clears throat> and shoeless Joe Jackson is banned from Major League Baseball. He was part of a conspiracy to fix the 1919 World Series. Rumors that he is really Roy Lietta from the movie Field of Dreams are false. Anyway, um, I'm going to read for you your government at work trying to poison you. And I'm not kidding. Quote, Practically all the liquor that is sold in New York today is toxic, end quote, a warning issued by the New York Medical Examiner. Prohibition is now the law. Selling or transporting booze is against the Constitution of the United States. I think I hear America the Beautiful playing softly in the background. Of course, many religious groups like the ban on alcohol. Socialists believe that alcohol has stupefied the common man into accepting the change of oppression. Employers believe that workers are losing productivity due to hangovers after boozy weekends. Police departments are tired of rounding up drunks. With all this support, alcohol consumption should be dropping. In reality, drinking simply changes. Now you drink an illegal booze, fast, going for effect, not to taste. Private clubs called speakeasies are for social interaction. People are drinking something there. Hotels install bottle openers to reduce damage to furniture. As guests knock bottle caps along the edges. Bay rum is an aftershave. Quote, for external use only, end quote, it says so on the label. Bootleggers add coloring to commercial ethyl alcohol and sell it. Although individuals are drinking less, more individuals are drinking. To help folks comply with prohibition, the government provides an incentive. They add poison to some of the booze. And don't tell anyone. Have a nice day. My take by Alex Shrugged. This, the logic goes like this. Prohibition is part of the U.S. Constitution. So if you buy booze from a bootlegger, that is like treason, right? Since the penalty for treason is death, it all makes sense now. In what universe? You have to trust me. It made sense to them. Part of it was due to the growing eugenics movement. Drunks had to be culled from the herd, so to speak. By the end of Prohibition, more than 10,000 people had been killed by their own government. Maybe over 50,000. But you say, Alex, that was almost 100 years ago. They would never do anything like that today, would they? Yes, they would. During the 1970s, the government sprayed marijuana fields with a deadly herbicide. It turned weed into a killer. The CDC issued a warning, but that was next to useless. President Obama's science advisor, John Holdren, once advocated forced abortions and mass sterilization, but rest assured the government does not want to kill off its own citizens unless it absolutely has to. Feel better? Me neither. Um, I'll tell you about the, the killer weed. I remember being in grade school. And having the whole, you know, you know, drug awareness part of schooling. And, you know, they have, you know, recovering addicts coming in and talk to you and they tell you about drugs and why not to do them and what you should do if you see drugs and, you know, just say no. Uh, you know, Reagan started that campaign and the war on drugs and just say no. And I remember being told as a child in grade school, in grade school, some of the marijuana that's out there could kill you and being told flat out that the government did it. That they, that they didn't do it to hurt you, though. So what they do is they spray it to kill it. But sometimes the, uh, the drug dealers are able to harvest it before it dies. And then if you smoke it, you could end up dead from it. And you wonder why I don't like government. And most of you that are my age or a little older or just a little younger, you probably remember that, too. 
Some of the things that government has done to its own citizens, including the greatest nation on earth, are reprehensible. It, it, I, I believe that had our nation been invaded by a foreign power during Prohibition, and that foreign power had been some just foreign power with some reason, there wasn't one, but just, just assume there was. Let's say we were being a bunch of dicks to Canada back then, and let's say Canada was tougher than us. And let's say Canada had invaded this country and took it over. I think any decent nation that would have invaded us and taken us over at that time would have held some of those people uh, on trial that it, like like we did with the Nazis when we took over Germany. I'm not saying it rises to the same level, but I'm saying it certainly rises to the level of freaking premeditated murder. And if you ever want to know who the biggest mass murderer is of all time, it's not any one individual. It's simply collectively the state. My take by Jack Spierko. On to better things. Let's talk about camping and... Uh, Let's talk about. Let's start out with a question, and I don't. I have the question in the show notes, but I, you know, great into answers to the question, good answers to the question. I don't really kind of point out in the show notes what I really mean here. Why the hell do people go camping anyway? Uh, let's see if I can make that clear. Right? You have your house. You have an air conditioner. You have a heater. You have a stove. You have a refrigerator. You have a TV set. You have lights. All the stuff that you're going to need to think about, and many of the things you won't even just have, are all right here at your fingertips. So, I got an idea. Let's pack up some shit, put it in the old station wagon, tool out into the woods, and smack mosquitoes asleep on the ground. When you think about it, why? who thought this was a good idea in the first place, in some ways? And if you don't do it right... It can be that much of a clash. And the reason I kind of point that out from the beginning is there's a lot of people that are, I don't want to do it because they think that way. And there's also a lot of people that go, I don't want to do it because we did it and it was that way. It felt that way. Like, out there going, I would be much more happy at home. So if we understand that from the beginning, then we just realize, well, we need to prevent that from happening. We need to take an approach that makes it where we don't end up feeling that way. We need to focus on our comfort, not roughing it. You know, we need to focus on on having it really good out there, not being tough on us. You can always make things harder on yourself, but if they're if they're hard flat out, then it's a lot more difficult to make them easier. So if you feel like you're having it too easy, you can always decide. Well, you know what? I just won't eat that extra food that we bought, and I want to feel what it's like to be hungry. Fine, but if you're hungry and you don't have something, you got me. So. I understand when some people are like, I don't want to go, why would I do this, what have you. Or, you know, I, I have a hard time getting out truly camping much anymore because my wife is like, you know, they have hotels there. But we should get a cabin. And I get it, and I'm more about making sure that we're both happy. So a lot of times I'll, I'll yield to that. So most of the camping I do is either with a buddy or alone now. Um, but, you know, we'll see. And so I want you to understand that, too, that you might listen to the show and get all jazzed up. Maybe it brings back memories or something, and you want to go camping, and your family's like, eh, that's what they're thinking. Why the hell would anybody do this? Well, let me give you some reasons. One, I believe it reconnects us to our true selves. I believe that's actually the biggest reason that people want to go camping today. Because all of the things that you do when you're camping, you can do without camping. You can have a place you can go where there's a campfire, but when you're done with the campfire, you go up to a nice bed with an air conditioner. Um, I guess there is a money savings thing there, but it's not that big of a money savings thing by the time you're all in on it. 
versus even like a low-cost hotel. Most of us that live in suburbs or whatever can get a fire ring even in suburbs and put them in the backyard and have a campfire right out back. I think it's a great idea. I think camping in your back backyard, by the way, guys, not our subject today. Great idea. And when you're done and you feel like, hey, I'd rather be in the bed, there's no shame. Right? And getting the kids used to it with that might be a good thing. Remember, I'm trying to bring a family angle to this. But I think human beings, um, as tribal groups, spend a lot of time of our history around campfires. The, the, the campfire or even the, the fireplace, once we had houses, traditional housing, was the TV for tens of thousands of years. You know, families gather around the TV today. And now because everybody has a screen, they don't even gather around the TV. They gather each have their own TV. They have their phones. Uh, you know, they have laptop computers, whatever. So the whole family might be in the same room and everybody has their own screen. When you are around a campfire and that's your screen, so to speak, everybody else is in view. In fact, you see them more naturally than you usually do. And that is innate to the human psyche. That bonding, that family tribal bonding around some sort of ritualistic thing. And we lived in the woods for a lot longer than we've lived in houses as a species. And even if we're not going to live there, even if when we go there we're going to take a little house with us, right, um, in the form of a tent, or we're going to rent a cabin or a, some sort of, a, a, like sometimes they have, a, I don't know what we'd call them, but more like a structure, like a, a covered, uh, I, I, it's the words escaping me. You guys know what I mean, though. Like a, there's, there's, no, there's no walls, but there's a roof. Um, something like that. We still are closer to it, and I think it feels good. And it's fun. It certainly can be. It can also be miserable. And I think if you want to get your family going, you have to give them an understanding of how it can be fun. And I think that if we were able to get out, take walks in the woods, you know, have fires, maybe do some fishing, maybe learn a little bit about the wilderness itself, a little bit of foraging, do some sort of a craft, whatever it is, it's fun. And that's the biggest thing I think that drives people to go is because they expect it to be fun. It also does something I think that's incredibly important today, that's incredibly useful to our emotional health, and that's it disconnects us from the modern world. The problem with the camps, you know, when you go camping with a cabin or whatever, usually everybody has, you know, satellite or cable TV plugged in now, internet and stuff like that. And, you know, I get that too, because when I go on vacation, it's, it, you know, if it's more than a day or two, especially, it's very important to me to have internet access just because I have a business and I'm the only one that runs it. And if I don't take care of it while I'm gone by at least deleting all the stuff that's not important and, and, and filtering it when I get back, it's a nightmare. So I, I get it. But if it's like, you know, leaving Friday, coming back Sunday morning and spending two nights, you, you, can you can disconnect from the net and you probably should. Just to let go of the modern world for a little bit, for a little bit really helps us reconnect with who we are because I want you to think again about there is there are certain things genetically hardwired into us as a species for us to be healthy and happy. And when we spent tens of thousands of years in tribal groups and familial groups, we didn't really worry about what somebody was doing 20 miles away, let alone 200 miles away or 2,000 miles away. And we didn't have a state. 
that wanted to poison our alcohol either. That you know, we didn't have that, and we certainly didn't have somebody far enough away in all of this that they would they would be able to control our lives from a place, you know, a magical place called Washington D.C., where at your state level for me would be Austin, Texas, if you're in Florida, Tallahassee, et cetera. We didn't have that. Now. We can't completely get away from that because of the world we live in today. The state is a true construct. But we can separate ourselves from all of the things that it puts into our minds. And I think it's very, very healthy for us. It also, it also really blends well, I think, with other activities like fishing and hiking and things like that. And if you think about it, well, it, it has to. Because I, I think if the concept of camping was... Well, we're going to go set up a tent, we're going to sleep in it, and uh, I guess we'll eat three meals a day, and then we'll just sit there. Uh, I don't think it would be quite as appealing. I don't know, for me, as I get older, um, sometimes just sitting around doing nothing and actually being disconnected and in, enjoying the surroundings is is actually quite appealing. Uh, it makes me think of the, the Peter Givens quote uh, from the movie Office Space. What did you do? I did absolutely nothing, and it was everything that I dreamed it would be. But um, you know you, you don't have to to go out in the middle of the the wilderness to uh, to do absolutely nothing. So when you get out there, it's it, it's fun to do other things, and that gives you an opportunity to expose your family or yourself to things you you otherwise wouldn't have the time to do. Let's talk a little bit about why people tend to not go camping, and and we kind of covered part of that with you know the well, why the hell would you? And I, you know, again, I can understand people that have never camped or have had bad camping experiences having that attitude. Why am I going to go out in the mud with the bugs and the the the, 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 the clumpy you know ground and all that when I have this wonderful soft bed with pure climate control right here at home? Um, but one of the bigger reasons really is people that would otherwise go is time limitations. So I think people tend to grandize things in their heads, and they think, well, if we're going to go camping, we should, you know, go to the national park that's on the other side of the state or something like that. So I think one of the big solutions to that is, like, camping doesn't have to be far from home. It, almost anywhere you live in the United States, there's some sort of campgrounds or state park or something like that that would make a good place to go camping. And, you know, by all means, again, backyard camping, nothing really wrong with that. I want to encourage a little bit more adventurous thinking today, but, you know, start somewhere. But getting over the time limitations, because people work, and you also have to think about it this way for the person that's a little reluctant in the first place. So let me get this straight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off work on Friday. Maybe I'll take a couple hours of personal time off and get off a little bit earlier. We're going to pack the kids up, and we're going to drive, you know, a couple hours somewhere. And we're going to stay there. We're going to stay there Saturday. We're going to come home maybe sometime Sunday afternoon. We're going to have to get the kids ready for school the next day or work the next day or whatever. And, and, and I'm going to basically not have a weekend. It's my typical downtime weekend at home to get the thing because there's always things to be done at home. And if you have pets that can't go, then there's some need to take care of that and, and what have you. So by being willing to take shorter trips, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be Friday. Right. Maybe you can just do a one night, come home Friday, be home Friday, leave Saturday morning, spend Saturday out, do some camping and come home early Sunday. Like that's OK. That's that's really OK. There's nothing wrong with that. And then you still if you come home early and you don't go that far, let's say you you have breakfast out, you know, on, on the campgrounds and you come home and you're home by 10. You still have the rest of the day. 
You leave her home by noon. You still have most of the rest of the day to get, you know, get the kids ready, get the mind ready, what have you, go back to school. Another is finding good locations. And I, I think that's something that, you know, maybe it's just not, you don't look hard enough because everywhere I've lived, within an hour, there's been someplace to camp. That's been pretty decent, you know, in, in reality. Um, and I also think it is the, again, kind of the aggrandizing in our heads. Well, we need to be somewhere where there's 50,000 foot mountains or something like that. By the way, those don't exist. Um, but I'm just, you know, kind of pointing that out. Like we have this, this mindset of this like image the TV has painted for us of what camping should be like. And any place that we can get away from at least the sound of traffic and be surrounded by some sort of, some sort of a wilderness. There's many different forms of wilderness. And be disconnected is good enough, especially if it has amenities that make our life easier if we're dealing with reluctant family members or even just because of time constraints, right? That means we want to make the time we have out there as enjoyable as possible. Um, the next is the cost of gear and shelter because a lot of people, when they, if they've never camped before and they start realizing this is a lot of money, and if all I'm going to do is go out once or twice a year, do I need to invest in all this gear? Well, as a prepper, you should probably have the majority of the gear already anyway. And it's a good way to test the use of the gear and become familiar with it. So I will go over some gear today. But again, I'm going to say that if the only way you can really make it work is, you know, a lot of campgrounds and stuff have small cabins that you can rent where they, there's a bed, you know, there's electricity and there's a roof. And if that's what works for you, fine. Get out there and start getting a taste of it. Um, and the next is lack of knowledge. A lot of people are afraid. What if this? What if that? Or they just don't know. No, they, you know, when they were a kid, nobody took them camping. Um, now they've got kids. You know, your kids look up to you. You want to know what you're doing. A lot of parents just don't want to do things with their kids when they don't know what they're doing. It's okay. And none of it's really that hard. Um, it, it's all, it's all worth doing. So I want to give you some of my rules. To not have a camping trip or two that makes your spouse or your other people around you or yourself feel like, well, why the hell would I ever do that again? So my first one is have good sleeping gear. Focus on comfort, comfort, comfort. I, I, I really can't overstate how important comfortable sleeping conditions are. Because if you get a good night's sleep, then when you wake up the next day, whether it's just packing up to go home or whether it's another day out in, in the sticks, so to speak, your mood is so much better. And if you spend, you know, five or six hours tossing and turning, eight hours tossing and turning because an acorn is poking you in the back and a pine needle is poking you in the back and a mosquito is sitting on your face and you're, you're in a puddle of your own sweat, and you didn't think you needed a pillow, but now your head is not right, and your neck hurts, and your back hurts, even if everything else goes fairly well, it won't seem like it, and that six to eight hours that should go by like a snap of the fingers with you fall to asleep, and you dream away, and you wake up, and you're there, uh, seems to take more time than the other you know, 16 hours of the day. And it really, to me, is one of the main things that ruins camping trips for people. Uh, so make sure you have good sleeping gear and, again, focus on being comfortable. Try it before you go out in the woods. And if it's not comfortable, make the adjustments to it, whether it's, okay, this sleeping pad is not sufficient. I need an air mattress. If you get an air mattress, try it. My real statement for you, for couples, um, you're better off with two twin air mattresses than, like, a queen or a king. Air mattresses are fine when you lay on them and you're there. When you have two people 
the way they bend and one moves and it moves up and down. And I mean, put them right next to each other. But two twins over uh, a king if you go with, you know, uh, mattresses. Um, next up, a good shelter for your season. So the tent that's perfect in the summer might be terrible in the winter. If you have a tent and you don't know how to put up, you know, put the rain fly on it and you live in a place where, well, it's not going to rain. But if you're in a place where it's very humid, even if you don't think it's humid, it can be, you know, as bad or worse than rain in the morning when you wake up covered in moisture. Uh, an example is when I went to, uh, to Ben Falk's place in, uh, in, in Vermont. Didn't rain. Man, I'm glad I put my rain fly on my tent. I've never seen do like that in my life. You know, I'm from Texas here. I even grew up in Pennsylvania. It's not like that there. So, you know, understanding matching the shelter to your conditions in your season. In winter or late fall, that same tent may just not be really warm enough. You know, there's, you know, there's different, you know, like a two season or three season or four season tent. And you need to understand those limitations. And instead of buying a really expensive tent, to camp in extremely cold winter weather with, with extremely cold weather bags and stuff, the easier solution is often just don't camp then. You know, especially if you're new to camping, just don't camp then. You know, camp in spring, camp in fall. Those are the two times of the year to camp. There's less bugs. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. You know, it gets cold enough. You can climb in a sleeping bag. It's easy to be warm when it's 45 degrees outside. You don't need much of a sleeping bag for that. Um, and I'll save some thoughts on some specific gear for later. But But have good shelter and sleeping gear for your season. Plan a few activities. Don't just go out there and say, well, uh, you know, we'll go fishing or hiking or find something to do or play frisbee or whatever. Like actually schedule a couple things, you know, one or two that are specific time that you're going to do them so that there's some sort of a, a structure around it. And then, you know, don't try to fill the whole day in though. Don't try to make it like a seminar. But saying, you know, we're going to go fishing and this place has a dock that we can fish off or there's a place, you know, land or what we're going to do for fishing is we're going to do some, some limb lines or something like that or do some jug fishing or whatever, depending on legalities where you're at. That can be a lot of fun and it also kind of puts a structure in place that especially with kids is useful because they know they're looking forward to it and then they know that it's going to end. Uh, you're going to take a hike. Well, you know, when, the, when you look at the, the campground, it says hiking. Oh, we can hike. Well, you want to do a little more research than that, because I've seen, you know, hiking means that there's a, a trail between the gift shop and the, the boat shop, you know, something like that. You want to find out, well, how, how long are the hikes? What's appropriate for my kids or for myself? You know, how much time is that really going to take? I've been to places where they have beautiful little hiking paths, you know, but, you know, all in all, I got less than a mile. Well, it's, it's a 15-minute walk if you go slow. You know, and you get bored making the same circuit. So, you know, try to make sure you're planning. When I say plan your activities, I'm not talking about structuring it like a tourist going to Greece, making sure they don't miss any of the sites. What I'm saying is if you're going to go fishing, do a little research. What type of fish are there? What kind of gear do you need? Um, what's the best time of day? You know, if you're somewhere where it's coastal and it's tidal, then you want to look at tides. If it's, you know, you might want to look at lunar cycles for fishing as well, things like that. And I can't get into each of these, but whatever you're going to do, look into. If you're going to go biking, well, what kind of bike trails do they have? You Biking trails. We have great biking trails. Well, is it good biking trails for, for an eight-year-old, you know, that, that's been off training wheels for two years? Or is it good, you know, biking trails for, um, you know, a, a, an advanced mountain biker? 
or, or vice versa. Like, is it like flat, you know, boring, paved, great for kids? But if you're, you know, a mountain bike type person that likes to do some jumps and stuff like that, does it fit you? So do some planning of your activities that's specific to the location is what I'm getting at there. Um, next up, I really think you should, on kind of that note that we were just talking about there, pick a location where you can hike. That's one of the easiest things to do, especially with kids. Anybody can take a walk. If, if, if the trail's seven miles long and your kids are good for a mile, then you can mark a mile, a half mile out, turn around and come back. But it really gets people doing something, moving, being involved. It lets you discover things. So I, I think that that's one of the activities I'm always going to want to make sure is available when I go camping, especially if I'm bringing kids along. Next up, ensure water access is available or that you can compensate for it sufficiently on your own. Uh, to me, if you're new to camping or if you're dealing with large groups or things like that, camping uh, locations that have water, like you pay for a camping spot, there's a there's a water hose right there. That's that's best. Next best is a lot of times you'll have campgrounds where there's you know little clusters of five or six sites, and then there's one water access for that. That's plenty good as well. A lot of the places we used to camp, um, they didn't have showers right there. But you could jump in your car, drive to the other side of the lake. It was maybe a 15-minute drive, and they had public showers. We would camp for like a week, and at that point, you really want a good shower. Uh, little solar showers and stuff like that are okay, but being able to really get clean, that's, that's so look for amenities like that. But water being a cheap, chief one. Electricity is nice, but I don't put it on the gotta-have-it. Uh, specifically because most of us are equipped with some level of alternative power just from our vehicles, even just from an inverter standpoint, uh, where you can charge devices and maybe run a fan if it's kind of too stuffy or too hot. But electricity is nice. Water is, is kind of on a premium. Um, make the food great. You know, plan what you're going to cook for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, and don't be afraid to, like, if you're going to do a two-day trip or longer, So you know what, kids? The first night we're gonna we're gonna pack the car up, leave everything at the campsite, assuming it's a place where that's okay to do, and nobody's gonna walk off with all your stuff. And in most good places, it's it's not really a problem. Um, we're gonna go have we're gonna have, go have dinner, and and you can have junk food or whatever. But I, I prefer to just cook every meal, and and to have an I you know know what you're gonna cook, and and make it a variety so it's not the same thing every day. Uh, don't try to live off your MREs or off of your mountain house or something like that. But there's nothing wrong with incorporating. That's a great skill to develop how to make, you know, those things good. But make, you know, do the mountain house as a side dish, not the main course. Bring some ribeyes out and grill those suckers or make some chili or something like that and, and enjoy the experience of the cooking and the eating together. And I think if you can go out and you can get a good night's sleep, you can take a couple walks, you can engage in some other activities, You can eat really well. You can stay relatively comfortable. You don't come home covered in bug bites, and you are well rested. You're going to want to go back, and you'll become more and more advanced. And you'll you'll just follow your natural instincts as to what you want to do next. Do you want to stay longer? You'll start looking for better campgrounds, further away campgrounds, more adventurous things, adjusting them to, you know to your child's children's capability if you're taking children with you. And if you if you do that, it, it gets easier as you go and i think you know on the note of the food and then just the experiences that we've talked about so far don't assume that just because you're camping it's okay to have a campfire now 
there's burn bans that go into effect because of drought conditions and all, and that's just the way life is. And there's there's a time for it. Um, when Gatlinburg's fires started, Dorothy said, can you believe this? And I'm like, yeah, I, I can, because we had been there a couple months earlier, and I had said several times walking through the woods that, man, this it, one, one cigarette in the wrong place, and this place is going to go. I could just see how dry it was. It rained, and it was dry. I, I'm not kidding. I mean, it rained like, not like a downpour rain, but like a decent rain, like a quarter to a half an inch of rain. Steady rain for like, you know, 30, 40 minutes. And we went hiking, and I'm like, it's dry. And she goes, what do you mean? They're looking at all the leaves are wet. But when you when you pulled the, the, the detritus on the ground, the surface was wet, and it was still bone dry. The, the material had been there for so long, it had become hydrophobic. It was actually repelling water. You need a complete soaking to get through that. And a lot of times in, in these eastern forests with this, these uh, seasonal cycles, what actually breaks it is winter. When ice and snow get on the ground and then it melts slowly and that's what breaks that hydrophobic nature of the, of the leaf litter and what have you. And the, the new stuff falling as well that's not hydrophobic and getting wet and causing that stuff below it to break down. So I, I'm not saying have a campfire in, in spite of common sense, but when I'm looking at campgrounds, I want to know are campfires allowed? You know, if it's only grills or it's only cook stoves or something like that, I, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. I, I, I am really hip on being able to throw a couple logs on and hear that wood crack and pop and having that experience. And I think that with your kids, I've seen kids that you can't get a cell phone away from. I've had people come visit here uh, at events and just as visits, and the kid is on you know Facebook or whatever the hell kids do on, on, on smartphones, nonstop YouTube watching videos, whatever, and you get it out of their hands, and you get them in front of the campfire, and you stick a marshmallow on a stick, and you hand it to them, and they actually become a child. They actually start acting like a real normal child is supposed to act. And, and the reason I say that, I guess, is I grew up without all that stuff. There was no such thing as parents setting limits on, on phones for kids. The phone was plugged into a wall. And my God, I'm not that old. This, this, this whole phenomenon that we're living in, you got to start looking at the lens of history and the timeline of history. Remember, I started out with talking about how, you know, man was here for tens of thousands of years uh, without what we think of as a modern house and without cities and towns and modern living and more primal and, and tribal. But even when we take in like the rise of civilization about ten thousand years, ten to twelve thousand years ago, with more traditional housing and people living closer together and and what have you. The, the timeline of being connected to the net, there is no way that it's normal or natural for a child to be plugged into an electronic device all day long because we have almost a million years of human history that we're aware of through the fossil record of human beings having no such thing. And I think the one, actually, actually the two things that I've seen most effective at breaking children from these devices are hiking and fires. Fishing works for some, but not all. Because fishing can be really boring if you're not excited about it in the first place and you're not catching fish. But taking that walk and having that fire. So those are things that I want to you know, kind of point out. Make, really make certain you can do those, especially in your first couple trips. Until you figure out what works for everybody that's involved. Because you have to, like as a parent, 
you have to look at things and go, well, I'm happy with all of this, but if they're unhappy, I'm going to be unhappy. So I need to see to their happiness, and if I see to their happiness, then I'm going to be happy. Because it doesn't work. It works for you, but it doesn't work for them that way. Parents generally, if you can make your kids happy, if as long as they're involved, so like happy doesn't mean sitting there with the, the cell phone, right? But you can make your kids happy in the activity, you're, you're going to be content. You're going to find contentment because you're more mature. You should be, right? You're a parent. So focus on their happiness first, and, and, and you'll find yours in it, and you'll find how to make everything work together. Um, I want to... Uh, Talk about what you learn by camping that applies to prepping here. One of the big things you learn is cooking off-grid. And I think it's important maybe to go beyond the take the grill with you thing or use the, the, the grill that's there. For some of you, actually, that's fine because you don't grill often. But if you cook on a grill all the time, then, then going out in the woods and using a grill doesn't really do anything to enhance, right? If that's a step up, then do it. But if, if not, you know... Learn to cook off the grid. I usually take some campfire cooking gear that I'll talk about a little bit and uh, a camp stove. And I use this camp chef stove. There's a link in the show notes today that uses propane. And, and that allows you to do things like, you know, fry potatoes or whatever without burning the hell out of them. Uh, to make eggs. You know, making eggs on a campfire, you can do it. It's a hell of a lot easier in a nice cooking pan over a camp stove. But then you're like, that's what you would use at home. In fact, you would be more likely, if you depend on electric heat at home and the grid's down and you want to cook, to be cooking on something like a small you know, wooden cook stove or a gas stove than you would to be cooking in a campfire. Unless you're like me and you just like to cook in campfires and you have a fire ring, then maybe you would do that. But you learn how to cook without the grid. And, and that includes things like cleanup. Because even if you have running water, you don't have that great big sink. You don't have a dishwasher. So you learn to deal without having that stuff. You also learn to be comfortable without a house. I, I always advocate, unless there's a compelling reason like your life or your safety are seriously at risk, in any kind of scenario where you, know, you, you need to uh, be concerned with disaster around you, if you can stay at home, bug in. But it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes, you know, floods happen, fires happen, storms that blow buildings down happens, and you might have to deal without having your home. It's always easier to do something that's stressful if you've done it before. And you become comfortable without this bubble that we have around us as humans now in a dwelling. You also learn how to acquire food from nature. Now, you might, I'm not suggesting go out there and live off you know, what you can forage and, 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 and hunt or beat with a rock or catch with a trap. But just by doing a little bit of it while you're out there, if it's the right season, you know, and you, you can do it safely, learn about mushrooms and what's available and maybe incorporate that into your meal if you find some. Don't make it so, like a like a scavenger hunt, like you're going to die if you don't find particular mushrooms. And don't ever, ever, ever eat a mushroom that you don't know exactly what it is. But if you do find some mushrooms, sautéing it up and putting a little bit with everybody's steak, not a bad, or on everybody's burger, not a bad way to do things. If you catch some fish, you know, cooking them over the campfire. Maybe not even in the frying pan or whatever. The old-fashioned, you know, put, it, put them on a stick and roast them method. And you don't have to catch massive fish to do this. Catching little sunfish is something just about everybody can do. And, it, you know, since it's not your full meal, 
You can do that. And I've had people send me pictures. I went camping. Look, Jack, I caught And I've had grown men send me a picture of a five-inch sunfish on a stick over a fire and say it's the first time I ever went fishing, first fish I ever caught, and the first thing I ever cooked outside. I think it's great. And I think it leads to doing more. And I'll tell you what, those little guys are pretty tasty that way. They really are. So you can, you can learn, at least begin the process of learning in a very comfortable, safe way. It's not like going to like, you know, jungle training school or something where they drop you off or we can, you have to live with a, a knife and a, a piece of string and your clothes on your back. You, you, you actually have the ability to kind of get that soft entry to it. You also learn how to do without. You learn how to just not have certain things. And the other thing I think what might be even more important, you learn what you'll need so you don't have to do without. By putting yourself into a position where you can't just, oh, I forgot about it, I'll just reach over here and grab it, and then you don't have something you go, man, it would have been much nicer if we had had. And then you start thinking about, well, how does that apply to my life as a prepper at home if the grid's down, so to say? So you, you learn how to do without stuff and what you will need so you don't have to. And you also learn, I think this might be the most important thing mentally, and it might be more important than anything else in reality to your daily life. You learn that all the shit you think is important largely isn't. All, all the, 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 the stuff that's on the TV set or the news or the radio or whatever that you think is important, all that stuff that's in your circle of concern but not influence, you learn that I can, I can go away for a weekend. Not pay attention to any of it. And when I come back, if I want to look at it, it's all still there and nothing's changed. And I think the mental reboot that camping, hiking, fishing, just being in the woods gives you is probably the most important benefit. Remember I started out with, you know, why do people do it? Why do people, why would you want to do it anyway? Because I've talked to people that really, why the hell would you want to go camping? And they're dead serious. And they're not being an asshole about it. They're, they're making an honest assessment. I, Don't understand why you would want to go out in the mud with the bugs. and You can go do that. Why not come home, take a shower at the end of the day? When I get a hotel room where stuff like that is, I can understand why people say that. But it's this disconnection. It's this breaking the programming that makes it really, really work. We'll give you some more rules. This is for keeping the kids happy. And I can tell you from being a kid camping and from taking kids camping, these are like, if you do these things, you'll figure the rest of it out. Number one, pick the right time of year. Do not go in the middle of summer if you're in a climate where it's 105 degrees. Everybody will be miserable. Do not go in the middle of winter to prove how tough you are. You want to do it? Go by yourself. Don't take kids in climatic extremes on camping trips. I know it sounds obvious, but it happens all the time. And, and that means like the short trips and not having them be part of like some kind of major vacation or something really make a lot of sense because This is what happens. You know, we're going to go camping next next weekend. We're going to we're going to pack up on Friday evening when when dad gets home from work and you know, we're going to go out. We're going to go down, you know, a couple miles down the road or an hour down the road or whatever it is. We're going to set up a tent. We're going to cook out. We're going to have a campfire. We're going to do a little fishing. We're going to take a walk. We'll stay till Saturday. Maybe we're going to come home Saturday night even. So we have all day Sunday at home. And you everybody plans to do it. And on Wednesday, you look at your weather app, and it's like, it's going to be raining a lot. It's going to be a muddy hellhole. Don't go. Just put it off till next week. So it's not just winter, summer, spring, fall when I say seasons. It's also the, the, what's going on with the weather. Just don't drag kids into tough situations. 
short trips and pick the bluebird moments for it. The next one, make individual activities brief unless they're really into it. Like I said, fishing can be boring as hell. But if you can get a campsite where you're right on the water, you can set a few rods and some rod holders and they can play, they can run, they can talk, they don't have to worry about anything. If you're out in a boat, you want to keep it short unless they're really into it or hiking too. You know, if you, if you push a hike too long on a kid to where their legs are tired, you're having to carry them, they don't want to be there, then the next time you want to go, they don't want to go. So any activities that you involve them in have kind of a brevity mindset, but if they're really into it, then let it go as long as they want it to. Next, take away their cell phones, their Game Boys, all that crap. Just take it away. Just take it away. You don't need it. You just don't need it. Dad's got his, mom's got hers. If there's an emergency, somebody will let us know. You don't have it at all. And I'm serious. And I'll tell you why. What a lot of people think is, well, what I'll tell them is they can have an hour a day, right? Or something like that. It makes it worse. It makes it worse. It makes it worse. Because then they don't want to give it up. They don't want to give it back. It's an amazing thing. They get pissed off. They're upset. They're pouty, whatever. But they become resigned to the fact that I'm just not seeing it again. And then they go and they do whatever they want. And it, you don't deal with, well, can I have it for a little bit? Can I have it for a little bit? Can I have it just for a little bit? No. No. Can't. In fact, in many instances, the best thing you could do is leave their electronic devices at home. And if you're worried that, well, maybe something could, you know, Jack talks about preparedness, maybe because something could go wrong, we could be stuck somewhere, then they're bored, then it would be a good thing. They don't need to know that you have them. They don't need to know. If they don't know, it takes away the complaining and the whining for it. They might whine that they don't have it, but they're not going to whine for it. Whining you don't have something lasts very short duration for kids because they're resigned. Well, I don't have it, and it's not going to change because of my whining. But if they know there's a chance, kids are good salespeople. They'll pressure you, and you'll give in. So just take them away. Next, um... Don't set your personal expectations too high. Just don't. And what I mean by that is, I, I'm thinking back right now. I went on a camping trip. It was a fishing trip. And I was sitting in a boat with one of my, my uncle and one of his friends. And he said, kid, it just doesn't get any better than this. This is, this is a perfect day. We hadn't caught a fish. I wasn't unhappy. I was still expecting to catch fish. Eventually we did. I said, we aren't catching any fish. He goes, no, it's just, it's just perfect. And I said, um, okay. He said, one day you'll understand. That was fine. But what I know is there are parents that you have that feeling. Like, this really is perfect. This is really what life's all about. Your kid might not get it. Don't expect that they will. If they don't seem that happy, don't try to make them happy. Let them be. They'll find their own happiness. Don't try to push happiness on anybody, but especially your kids in the woods. It's a, it's a huge mistake. Don't try to live vicariously through your kids. There's people that, you know, maybe you never did go, go camping or you didn't go camping enough and you wish you did more and now you want to give your kids what you didn't have. Fine. Give it to them and let them do what they want with it, 
don't try to make them feel the way you think you would have felt. Because whatever you romanticize about when you were 10, it wasn't really that way. It wasn't really that way. There was a lady I used to work for. And she, I was, you know, I was a, a new father and a stepfather, and that's tough back at the time. My son was like eight years old. And I was bitching one day about, I don't remember what, but I was bitching about something. So let me tell you a story. She goes, when I was a little girl, one day I took this blanket and a pair of scissors. And I cut fringes on the end of the blanket, so it would be a fringe blanket. And of course, I'm, and I'm, I work for her. She's my boss. So I'm not rolling my eyes, but I'm rolling my eyes in my head, right? That's what I'm like. I don't give a shit about any of this. And she said, so I, I got in a little bit of trouble for it because I cut mom's blanket, but, you know, I thought it was pretty and it didn't last long and everything went away and the blanket went away. And later when I had my own kids, And I don't remember what she said her kids did, something the kids did. I think it was involved lipstick in the wall in the bathroom or something like that. Her mom basically said, this must have been a wise lady, this, this lady's mom. I've been waiting for this. Hold on. And she goes to the other room. She comes back with this blanket that when she was a little girl, she cut fringes in. And she looked at it. She said, do you remember what this is? And the lady said, yeah, I do remember what this is. She goes, that looks awful. She goes, well, what did you think it looked like when you were six and you did it? She goes, I thought it was so pretty. There you go. There you go. Understand with your kids that, like, they see things differently than you. And, and when you're doing something out of their comfort zone, you got to let it be. And if you set your expectations and if you think what you – and that, the big thing there is the way you remember things is probably not the way they really were. Probably not the way they really were. It's, it's amazing how the, the mind, I think the, 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 the quote I've given you before is nostalgia is a seductive liar. And nostalgia is not always for a time in history, you know, for the whole world or the whole country or something like that, like the 50s were really great or whatever. Um, it, it's often nostalgic for your own childhood. And nostalgia is a seductive liar. So don't try to, like, plant that onto your kids. That's kind of my, my relationship advice for this show. Um, and it definitely make the first trip shorter trips. Do the one-nighters, the two-nighters. Don't, don't take young children or reluctant spouses on five-day, seven-day camping trips for their first couple trips. Just don't even think about it. Uh, five days is long for me, honestly, anymore. All right, so I want to do some thoughts and some gear here. And this is not an essential or a complete list. These are just some things I want to make sure that I kind of hit on that you make sure you think about. So first of all, and I've talked about it before, but a good sleeping pad, a cot, or hammock camping, or uh, air mattress, whatever it is, make sure you have a good sleeping solution and bring pillows. Yes, bring the pillow from your own bed if you're going to be car camping. It's really, really useful. Um, seasonally appropriate bedding, sleeping bags. And, and sometimes, like, I don't think people really think about this. In the summer, that can be actually more important because the winter's easy. You just get a sleeping bag that's, that's cold weather enough for the situation that you're in, and you're good. But a lot of times in the summer, you can feel really, like, sweaty. And really thin cotton is quite wicking and will wick sweat off you. Cotton kills. Not in a tent in June, it doesn't. Okay? Um, and having some sort of air circulation, small fan or something like that, really helps with, you know, that light sheeting is, is quite useful. 
Um, a good cook stove, and again, I love the Camp Chef one. I think that's really a great way to make sure you're able to be versatile with your cooking and cook some of the things that you know make the kids happy. I do like um, uh, cooking on a campfire, so a Dutch oven, campfire cooking gear, great idea. I'll be reviewing some of that stuff in item of the day as we go into next year, uh, some of my favorite stuff. A quality tent. And listen, if you're backpacking and you're going long distance and all, then you want to go light. If you're you know, a person that does a lot of events, like the people that come here to my events and you're going to camp in somebody's backyard, you're going to fly with gear, you want small gear. If you're going to load up the back of a pickup truck, Let me tell you, there's there's two things that no one's ever bitched about being too big when they're inside of them. One's a boat and the other's a tent. No one's ever been on a boat, you know, a bass boat, and said, you know, I wish it was two feet shorter. I wish the transom was six inches uh, thinner. There's just too much space in here. It doesn't happen. And same thing with a tent. When you start moving your, you know, if you put your suitcase in there with your clothes or your your, your backpack with your clothing or whatever, uh, you, and you got a couple people sharing a tent, It, it, the space gets taken up quite quick. So go with larger, high-quality tent. I mean, I, I really think that's important. Now, I generally sleep in small dome tents, but I generally camp alone. I'm trying to you know, keep this family friendly here, but that you know, the ones that are more like a cabin tent or whatever, they're great. Really watch the weather with them, though. I'll tell you a story. Um, I used to camp a lot before I met Dorothy. I had a group of friends. We would go five, six times a year for like long weekends, take a Friday and a Monday off of work and everybody go and we'd go down to like Canyon Lake and, and float the, the Guadalupe River. We'd go up to Lake Murray in Oklahoma, stay there for four or five days and, and just basically it was, it was all young adults. So it was, it was partying is what it was, but it was also camping. And we went down to Canyon Lake the one weekend and I had my little dome tent. And everybody else had a big cat, cat cabin tent, you know, with the big metal poles and all. And they were kind of making fun of my, my tent. Well, we had a storm roll in. A really, 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 really heavy storm. Like one we were actually afraid, like, is there going to be a tornado out of this thing? And we're going to get picked up and moved out. Everybody's tents were trashed. Their poles were bent. We had uh, canopy tarp, canopy uh, covers. They were smashed. There were tents. It looked like... It looked like Mad Max rolled through the campground. There were tents smashed all over the place. Everybody ended up sleeping in their car, except me. I slept in my tent. It was dry, and it was completely functional. And the reason is dome tents have those flexible poles, and I sat in my car while the storm was going on, and I watched that tent blow flat to the ground, and when the wind let up, pop straight back up, and blow flat to the ground the other way, and pop straight back up. And there was a little bit of water that got into it on the one side, but it was dry, and it was comfortable, and I spent the rest of the weekend in my tent, and everybody else spent the rest of the weekend sleeping in their cars and their trucks. So there is a place for those tents as well. Um, next, a good flashlight, a good headlamp or camp light, and LED lanterns, all three. Lighting is so useful to you when you're out there. And batteries, 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 and a charging solution for your vehicle if you have it. Really, really uh, just a great idea. Toilet paper. Uh, a few extra rolls, please. A lot of times people will be going to a campground that has, you know, bathroom facilities. And they think, well, I don't need to worry about toilet paper. Well, there's a couple things going on there. One, sometimes you got to worry and it's not there. 
We've all been in the public bathroom somewhere where you're like, huh, no toilet paper in there. And you get to the last stall, and you're like, please let there be toilet paper, right? The other thing is, you notice they don't use like Charmin or whatever else. You know, I can't think of any other toilet paper, the soft apply or whatever. They always use that like cardboard type toilet paper in those places. Having your own means you'll never do without and you don't have to wipe your ass with 220 grit. Um, I'm just saying. So toilet paper is something that so many people just don't think of. Um, eating utensils. And uh, consider paper plates, plastic forks. There's nothing wrong with that. Throw the plastic forks away. Throw the paper plates in a fire. Eh, that's fine. What we actually use, and if you've been here for events, we use them for the events too, the, the blue and white flecked enamel uh, plates, cups, and bowls. And then we just use like cheap from like the dollar store silverware, flatware. That way if it wears out, gets bent, gets lost, you don't care. You just buy some more of it and throw it in. And I like the enameled stuff because it's very easy to clean. Uh, it, it never has anything that really sticks to it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'll put a link in the show notes. Like the full, we, we buy them by the four-pack because we buy them in quantity because, we, again, we use them for students here at the event, and, at the events that we run, and, and they're just fantastic. But you can get them at, like, Walmart, Academy Sports and Outdoors, any of the sporting goods stores sell this stuff. If you don't know what I'm talking about, as soon as you look at it, you'll be like, oh, that. And, oh, and it's made out of steel. And, again, they have a, a very hard enameled coating. And, you know, a set of four doesn't take much space up. And that way everybody has a cup, everybody has a plate, everybody has a bowl. And my rule here when you come here to uh, as a student, and my rule when we used to go camping as a family, like we bring one of Matthew's friends on, that's your plate. You eat on your plate. When you're done with your plate, you clean your plate. You clean your plate because that's your plate. And the next time we eat, you're eating off that plate. And if when I go to put it away to go home tomorrow night, it's dirty, you're going to clean it then. So you might as well clean it now. It'll be easier because the food's fresh on it. You clean your plate. I really recommend that rule for camping with your kids. Do not let them get up on the table and run off into the woods with all their shit there and you're there doing the dishes. Part of taking kids camping is teaching them skills and teaching them to be able to care for themselves. Being able to wash your own freaking dishes and plates and forks That is a skill that kids are not learning that they should learn. Next up, try to avoid the rain, but have some sort of rain gear in case you end up with a passing shower or something like that. My favorite rain gear is a brand called Frog Togs. It's very lightweight. You buy it bigger than you need, so if you're wearing heavy clothing or whatever, it'll fit over top of it. They fold up in a bag, in a little pouch. I keep mine mostly now in my... Uh, in my utility room, uh, laundry room slash pantry, because I end up using them more now uh, here at home than I do away from home. But when I go hunting or something like that, I always bring them along. I throw them in my truck box or whatever. I should probably just get a second set to keep in my truck again like I used to. But whenever I'm here and I've got to go out and take care of the ducks and it's raining, put that thing on. If it's cold, I've got my heavy coat. It goes right over it. It's got a hood. Pants go right over your other pants. And... You can get these, again, I'll put a link on Amazon so you can see what I'm talking about. But they sell them at Walmart, and they sell them at any of the main sporting goods stores and things like that. There's a heavier-duty variety for you guys that use motorcycles called Toad Skin. It's like a, a variety of the Frog Tog, and they're a little bit heavier-duty. But the, the Frog Tog has been enough for everything I've done. Make sure you have a way to keep people dry when it's wet. Good tents go a long way. They just go in the tent, sit in the car, you know, go under the – We call. I, I can't think of what I'm looking for – 
with this now, like a pavilion. That's it. If there's a pavilion, go under there, whatever. But being able to stay dry, if you take a little hike, take your day pack with you, have at least the, the jacket portion of that with you. If it starts raining, put it on everybody. They're going to be happier. They're not going to be wet and miserable when you get back. Wet weather gear. Um, make sure you have dish washing supplies. I talked about washing the dishes, but, you know, have, you know, green pads and some soap, biodegradable soap is, is really all you need. Assuming that the place there has water, having some sort of a basin is often useful. But if you go by the rule I gave you, usually there's a place where you can, there's like a, you can wash, you know, wash stuff where water comes out. You go up, you scrape the food into the garbage. You don't, you know, put it all on the ground. So you scrape any leftover thing will come off. So then you have just like little sticky bits and whatever. You go over, you wet the dish, you hit it with a little biodegradable soap, you hit it with the your green pad or your sponge, you rinse it off, and you set up somewhere for it to dry. You don't need to dry it with a towel. It's it's not it's not fine fancy stemware. It's not crystal. It's not your grandma's china. It'll dry. Just set it up and let it dry. So simple. Turn the cup upside down instead of letting it sit up so that it dries out. Bowl, same thing. Plate on its side. Boom, done. But have what you need to get it, you know get it clean. Um, water containers for a washing station if needed. So. I like the big blue water jugs that they sell at, like, you know, again, the sporting goods stores, Walmart, Academy, whatever. And even if the place has water for you, I find that to be very useful. Because a lot of times the water's like I said, you know, there's like, well, there's water, but for this cluster, it's 50 yards over there or what have you. You can go over, you fill a couple of these jugs up, you set them up on a tailgate of the truck, they have a little spigot on them, something like that. Something like that. Just... You know, absolutely makes everything easier. If you're doing that off the tailgate of your truck, then what you're going to end up with is a big mud pile under your truck. So have some sort of a basin to catch the water that you can take somewhere and dump. A simple five-gallon bucket will usually do. But make sure you're thinking about these things, like keeping a campsite neat. You don't, this is like so important. I don't have it on my list, but it kind of made me think of this. Especially toward the end of summer, you don't want uh, cans of soda with, with, with remnants in it laying around. You don't want cans of beer. You don't want sticky food thrown on the ground anywhere. Not just because bear. Well, bears don't live where I am. You know what lives almost everywhere in this country? Yellow jackets. Yellow jackets. And that stale food is the number one thing that brings them into an area. And they, they're a lot like bees. Yellow jacket comes. She finds sticky soda can. She eats sticky soda. She goes back to Yellow Jacket Ground Zero and tells all the other Yellow Jackets, hey, there's sticky soda and other good shit over here. And next thing, a whole colony is using your area as their place to source food. So garbage bags and good sanitation practices. It won't stink. It won't smell. Nobody will step in anything. Nobody will get it all over themselves. But you won't attract insects and other wildlife that you don't want to have around. Um, insect repellent on top of that because mosquitoes don't care. Mosquitoes want your blood. Good quality insect repellent, twice as much as you think you need. Put, put, one in, put, put one container of it in the glove box. Put one of it in your camping bins. By the way, the way I like to transport my stuff, big Rubbermaid, you know, kind of Tupperware Rubbermaid-style bins. I think it's the best thing in the world for camping. They close up. You can put them in the back of a pickup truck. It can rain on them. Everything stays dry. I mean, that's clothing, 
I just kind of each bin set up for like this is the kitchen stuff bin. This is the cookware. This has got all that stuff in this bin. This is the clothing. This is all the other stuff, the lighting and stuff like that. And the bedding is in this bin. Much easier that way. You don't worry about it getting wet. You can stack it. You can stack it up. If you pick up, you can stack it above the rails. You can throw a, a ratchet strap over it, ratchet strap it down. It's the easiest thing as far as I'm concerned when it comes to a lot of things, but specifically camping. And again, it starts to translate then into, well, what if you had to bug out? Or how are we going to organize this shit in the garage? <laughs> Whatever. Um, next up, fire making supplies. I think it's a good idea for you to go out to the camping site with your kids. And go out and find a cedar tree and scrape some cedar bark off it and make a fluffy nest. And then teach the kids, I need sticks about this big. These little match sticks. I need a bunch of those, so go get them. I go get them and bring them back. And I say, okay, now I need sticks about as big as my finger. Go get sticks as big as dad's finger. Put those there. Now we got to go find bigger wood, and maybe we bought some firewood, or we brought some firewood with us. We're going to get that ready to go. And now we're going to take a flint, or we're going to take a ferrocium rod, and we're going to spark that cedar, and look at that go. We're going to tend it, and we're going to get it going, and yeah, it's great. But sometimes, got all kinds of shit going on. Things are starting to go south. I have no problem with, let's get a bunch of sticks, throw them in there. Let's get some bigger pieces of wood, throw them in there. Squirt that lighter fluid on there, and now that's fire. Right? So you know where that's from, right? Now that's a fire. Why don't I put a little humor in today's show? I could use it. I bet you guys could too. Uh, before I play this, I do need to give you an adult language warning. Um, you'll hear some adult language here. You won't hear the F word, uh, but you will hear uh, some other curse words, words I use, and some things I don't use because I know that people find them highly offensive, like GD. You'll hear that a couple of times here. So if you don't like that, skip a minute ahead. But if you need a laugh and if you need a little bit of positive nostalgia back to the 80s, Let's listen to this, then we'll come back and finish up. My Uncle Gus come by the house every year. My Uncle Gus is the uncle that like to work the grill and don't let nobody touch the grill when he's around and shit. As soon as he walk in the house, he's like, get away from that grill. You don't know how to start no fire. You don't know how to start no fire. Put this fire out. There ain't no fire, goddammit. Eddie, Eddie, go over there and give me all that wood. I need half a tree. Chop that tree down over there. Chop down that tree and give me the wood from that tree over there. And Charlie, go give me two gallons of gasoline out of the shed. You two gallons of gasoline, you kids roll up your shirt, put that on the grill. We're going to start a fire. Come on, you want to eat? You want to eat? Just shut up, then put that on the fire. Okay, put that wood inside there. Okay, give me the gasoline, Charlie. Hold the match. Well, I tell you, Charlie, throw the match on the gasoline, all right? Well, I tell you, all right, we're going to make a fire. We're going to eat it, right? Y'all want to eat? We're going to eat now. Here we go. Pour the gasoline on here like this. Here. We need the whole group. Get that goddamn lighter fluid out there. That can't use it, shit. We're going to put all two gallons of gasoline on this wood and make a fire. We're going to eat a hamburger, okay? Here we go. Charlie, throw the match. Now that's a fire. That's a fire. Look at that. Look at that. He'd be all right. Roll Charlie around. Roll him around in here. Roll around. And for those that don't know, that's from uh, Eddie Murphy, and that's from his uh, his tour called Delirious back in the 80s. If you are a younger person and you only know Eddie Ma Murphy as the guy from Daddy Daycare and things like that, uh, it gets much darker than that. But that that's uh, just making a point there that I really have no problem with when you're going camping using what works for the moment. So when I go camping, I always have a big old jug of lighter fluid, And one of those long-reach lighters. I don't always use it, but I always have it. You know, maybe it rained, maybe it's a little wet. Well, we should test our skills. Well, not when your kid's crying. Not when your little girl's going, Daddy, when are we going to eat? You said we were going to eat. Daddy, when are we going to eat? You said we were going to eat. Not then. No, we just get the fire going. That's one less thing to worry about. Maybe we're cooking on the grill or the stove, but we want the fire for later. Maybe the kids are tired. Maybe we did it last night. Maybe they're not into it tonight. I don't know. There's no problem with that. Maybe you did it. And it didn't work, and you just wanted to go. 
And so being careful you don't do what Eddie Murphy's uh, Gus, Uncle Gus did. You know, you get the lighter fluid, you get the fire going. There's no problem with that. It's always worth having and not needing rather than needing and not having. Next, you need a good first aid kit. That should be in your car anyway, but I thought I'd throw it in here. Let me tell you the number one thing for first aid kits for little kids. Band-Aids. Band-Aids, Band-Aids, Band-Aids. I don't know what it is, but if you're a parent, you already know. If you're a new parent, you're going to find out. Kid will skin himself, scrape himself, scratch himself. It's no big deal. It doesn't need first aid. It doesn't need nothing. But it hurts. You put a Band-Aid on it, oh, they're all happy. So make, make sure you have Band-Aids, but, you know, ointments, things to deal with insect stings and insect bites, anything that's specific to you. You know, if you have kids with asthma or stuff, that's something you have to worry about all the time. You should be ready to do it. But um, uh, after bite is a good thing to always have in your kit. Another thing to always have in your kit is diaper rash ointment. Uh, a lot of times camping, you do get wet or something like that. Your skin gets chafed. And, and, you know, you don't have to be wearing a diaper, but it's the same thing. You know, wet pant rubbing on the inside of the leg, chafing a leg. That's sore. It's uncomfortable. It makes people miserable. Uh, or just any kind of thing that's from some sort of friction, uh, irritation. Uh, it's zinc oxide is what's in diaper cream. Works great for that. It also is a, a, a reasonable impromptu sunscreen if it's necessary. Um, but any kind of, of, uh, of friction injury, generally speaking, uh, diaper cream works really good on. Uh, lip, uh, what do you call it? lip balm, like Carmex or something like that. Kids get a chap lip, you get a chap lip. It's a miserable experience. That's a good thing to always have in your first aid kit. That also works with um, like rough, dry skin because of some sort of environmental situation. Uh, rubbing that on thick really helps with that. And you know, basic overall first aid kit. Some cordage. Uh, cordage is the most difficult thing, uh, probably of all things, other than a cutting tool to fabricate. Uh, you know, on site. So, you know, a couple hundred feet of TA, uh, 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 paracord, parachute cord or something like that. And maybe some larger, like soft nylon rope as well. I like that better than the hard, stiff stuff because it's more useful in situations you'll find, well, I need to bind this or whatever. Uh, but definitely make sure you have some cordage with you. Uh, table and chairs. Uh, it just, it makes things easier, especially when you're with kids when it comes to eating and stuff like that for them to have a surface to eat on. Uh, I, I don't mind sitting with my back up against a tree and a and a hamburger. And if I'm eating a hamburger, I probably don't even need a plate. But kids, it makes things easier. And I'll tell you what I see all the time. It always seems to be the women that want to do this. They want to put some kind of tablecloth down. And they buy these plastic tablecloths that look like red and white checkerboards or whatever. And it's just a waste of time. It's just a pain in the ass. And I promise you the wind could not have blown for a minute that day. And when you take that thing out and try to put it on top of that table, the wind is going to blow and it's going to make it just, just annoying. Just a good old-fashioned plastic folding table like you can buy at a hardware store is all you need. Don't worry if it gets food on it. Take your biodegradable soap, squirt it on it, throw some water on it, hit it with a green pad, rinse it off, tip it up, let it dry, go back at it again. It's much easier. Tablecloths are a waste of time when camping. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And if you do it now, remember I said not to do it. Another really great item to bring is some sort of a shade canopy. Uh, you know, these things are set up like, for, you know, there's no, no sides, but there's a roof. You know, a 10 by 10 or a 12 by 12. Again, those are great for getting under when it rains, but they're also great for getting out of the sun in. Especially they have some that have like a shade, shade cloth that comes down on the side, on one side or the other, because when the sun's at a certain angle, those things don't really do much. 
Uh, but those are a great thing to have or think about some sort of a way to make sure that you have shade when you need it when you're out in the, the warm weather. So those are some things that I, I see people not bring or think they don't need or try to do without and be pretty unhappy. So final thoughts on all this. You know, my, my hope today was when I saw this subject, I could, I could try to convince some of you that, that don't camp to go camping. And it's, it's winter right now. And this is not a good time for first time camping. It's really not. But it won't be long before, you know, we're having those nights that dip into the 40s and 50s. Those are really good. Like, actually down here, if you time it right, you could camp here right now and have that. You know, you're overnight low, 48 degrees. Those are really great times to camp. If you get a decent sleeping bag that's, that's, you know, rated for the temperature, uh, or maybe just a little bit lower, good clothing, good pillow, good bedding, it's easy to sleep and be comfortable in those temperatures. Much easier than, say, when you know your overnight low is 90 and it's humid and you're like sticky and sweaty and all. Those are great times. So there's plenty of time to get ready for this, to start thinking about it. And I'm telling you, with camping, a little research goes a long way. You know, Instead of just calling, seeing if they have a spot, getting a spot, pick the phone up and call the campground that you're thinking about going to. What is your busiest time of year? What is your least busy time of year? Is there some sweet spots climatically in that least busy time of year? Less people at a campground makes it more enjoyable. There's a place that it's not overnight camping, but I, I, I couldn't stand to be there you know, during the day for very long on Joe Pool Lake. I used to fish all the time, and it's every weekend in the summer. I, I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me, uh, but it's completely loaded up with Mexicans. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about somebody because they're a Mexican. I'm just saying it is what it is. And what I see go on there is insane. It's a day fee park. You pay for the day. You go in the day. You have to leave, I think, by 10 o'clock at night. They all set up their grills, and they just sit out there. Some of them fish, but most of them just camp and drink. That's a camp. Or not camp, really. They, 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 they cook food, they hang out, and they drink, and they party. This is the wild thing. So you pay, and then you, there's places. Like if you have a spot you've taken, it's really obvious. Like, like this is your spot. There's like they're set up with like you know places to park your car, and then like an obvious area. They're like whoever has this, this is their kind of their boundaries. That's what you paid for, just like a camping spot does. And they all have either radios or their car stereos blaring Tejano music. Now, if they all had this favorite Tejano station, and they were all playing the same thing. I don't like the music, but it would make sense. No, they're all playing different music, and they all have it throttled all the way up. And, I mean, there's people that are 25 feet apart from each other playing different throttled-up Tejano music. Everybody's cool with it. You know what? That's fine. But I don't want to use that facility. So find out about the facility. Is there any kind of big event that goes on? Uh, because what people end up doing is, well, well, let's go Memorial Day weekend. Gee, nobody else thought of that. Right, that's that's not a good time to go. Go in the time of year where no one goes. Call, you know, tell tell the people that, that answer the phone what type of situation you have. Your tent campers, your RV campers, your car campers, whatever. What are your facilities like? You know, go look at their website first, but verify things. Um, you know, how much you know? Is, are there hiking trails there? Are there any additional costs? Whatever, and call a few different places and try to find places that fit your needs best. Not my needs, not the neighbor's needs, but your needs and your kids' needs best. And you'll have a much better experience. But above all, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Because if you go and you hate it, well, you tried. But try to figure out why you hated it. Maybe you just 
didn't get it right the first time, take that short trip. Take that one night. You know, go Saturday morning, stay Saturday night and come, you know, cook breakfast and come home. Or something like that. Take Friday off. Take Friday off and go set up Friday morning. Stay Friday night. Come back Saturday afternoon or even Saturday evening. Full day Friday, full day Saturday. Come home, full day off before you go back to work. You know, make time to do it. Because I'm going to tell you, especially your parents that have young kids right now, they will grow faster than you think. It was one thing for me when my son graduated high school. I was like, yeah, my wife was a wreck over it. But, you know, I was thinking the other day, he's married, he has two kids, and he's 27. That doesn't even make sense to me. I almost feel like 18 to 27 went way faster than like 7 to 20. It, it really did in, in kind of the way it appears. So take advantage of this stuff. You know, we, we all never know when, you know, when we're, when we're going to have to cash our chips in. And, and you won't be thinking, gee, I, I wish I would have worked more. You'll be thinking, gee, I wish I would have spent more time with our family. This is a good way to do it. And it's a good way to bulk up your, your, your prepping ability at the same time. So I, I don't think I was on my A game today with this show, guys, but, uh, I'll do better tomorrow. I'm, I'm a little, still a little distracted, um, with the things that are going on around here and then, and then losing a friend, but, uh, We'll keep, we'll keep it coming for you, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. And if you did, you want to support the work I do, you know the best way to do that. Go to survivalpodcast.com. Click on Members to learn more about the Member Support Brigade. You'll see all the companies you get discounts to, all the great free stuff you get. It's $50 a year or $5 a month. It's up to you. And if you're military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, or a first responder, you do get a discount. Just email me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put TSPC in the subject line. TSPC serves discount in the subject line. And tell me about your service in one or two sentences. I'll get that discount code back to you. If you ever do that and you don't hear back from me like in a day, unless I'm on vacation, email me again. That means that something went wrong. I didn't find it. The spam monster ate it even in spite of the TSPC and what have you. I, I always respond to those within a day. Uh, next up, the other way you can support us is by going to tspaz.com whenever you're going to do your shopping on amazon.com. So if you want to get any of the stuff I talked about today or anything else or anything in general that you're going to buy on Amazon, just go to tspaz.com before you do. You can also see the item of the day that I've reviewed for that day there. Today's is Toby Hemingway's Permaculture City. Uh, I'll actually be pay playing the interview about this book uh, in TSP Rewind on Monday next week after Christmas as I take that week off. And it's a really great book. It talks about not just how to grow our own food, but how to grow communities, how to develop um, our own economic systems, and how to develop business between neighbors, and how to build resilient communities. And the reason I featured it is, is because Toby passed yesterday. And one thing an author can do that you know many of us can't is leave behind something that will continue to generate some income for the people he leaves behind. In this case, is his wife, Kiel. And I just thought it would be fitting to, to feature this item today because if those books sell, that helps her. Remember, they still are doing uh, a fundraiser for, for, for them, and I think that's done really, really well. But, you know, if you don't have this book, Toby is one of the greats in permaculture. I'd put his name right next to, you know, David Holgram, Bill Mollison, Jeff Lawton, Uh, he's that influential. You know, he's on the scale of one to ten, he's a ten. And he was a damn fine man. He was a damn fine man. He was a good friend to me. Um, and, you know, 
coming from different viewpoints on different things, but realizing that there were certain places that were more important. He was really good at that. He was really good um, at cultivating you know, relationships based on commonalities. And uh, that's what this book talks about. So do consider it for your library. Again, it's called The Permaculture City by Toby Hemingway. TSP item of the day. You can always do your shopping at tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z dot com. Um, next up, I want to uh, g- uh, just tell you, you know, it is Christmas, and we should enjoy ourselves. And uh, I got this subject on Facebook, and I got today's song on Facebook. I said, start naming Christmas songs. I'll pick one. And somebody suggested Santa Claus is coming to town, and uh, the one by Bruce Springsteen, which I've always thought was fun and enjoyable. So that's what I'll be playing for you today. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you enjoy today's show. Hope you decide to get the kids, the wife, whatever, out there, do a little bit of camping. Again, for most of the country, it's a bit cold for that right now. Good time to start doing your planning, finding good places to go, making sure you have the gear you need. Most of that gear you probably have already, putting it together, thinking about how to pack it up. Maybe do a little camping in the backyard if you get an unseasonably warm day as a dry run and give it a shot. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
满的太。